Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 31 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for joining us today. So before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to also let you know that this is the last week that you can pick up the craft beer label design guide available at printdesignacademy.com. Now in this guide, we go over how to use different label materials to your advantage, sneaky ways to add luxury to your labels without the price tag, and how opting for die cuts on your labels can bring your design to life. All that and more where we go over five different beer labels and how they were made, materials, inks, all of that jazz. Now, this isn't just strictly for beer labels. You can take these concepts and you can use them for cosmetic, pharmaceutical, nutraceutical. You can do them for kombucha labels, cold beer coffee labels. Um, Gosh, anything else that requires a label, food labels, anything that gets a label that you're designing a label for can use these concepts to really just bring up the perceived value and give you more flexibility on the design side of creating something absolutely stellar. So pick that up at printdesignacademy.com. This is the last week before that you can get that guide. And then on March 2nd, we launch the craft beer labeled design course. And I, I'm so excited to bring this to you guys. And it's, uh, that's all I'm going to say. It's amazing. It's amazing. So today's guest is Mike Nichols from Umber. This is a brilliant conversation because Umber is a magazine that he created, that he founded, and he gives us the story of that, the meaning and the purpose behind it, um, how the print techniques that they use, the print processes, the papers they use, how all of that backs up the message and the purpose of the magazine, of this publication. He also shares a couple of other supporting publications and print pieces that he created along the way. And it's just a fascinating conversation about how these pieces came to be and the ideas. Um, It's just so good. And one of them is described as a visual mixtape of the publication. So you want to hear about that and more. This episode is definitely for you. It's an awesome conversation. So let's stop messing around and let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, Mr. Mike Nichols. Hit that intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast. The show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So, let's talk ink on paper. Mike, welcome to the Print Design Podcast, my friend. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing terrific. I'm excited to get into this. Thanks for for being here, for joining me. Yes, yes. I'm um, I'm all about print. Um, I dream it. I sleep it. Or no, I sl- when I sleep, I dream it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I eat it. I, you know, the the smell of printer ink. I want I want I want to make that I want to make that cologne. Like it would be super, I think, I think the nerds, I think the nerds would appreciate that. 
you know. I've always said, you know, it'd be awesome to have like a print shop smelling candle. You yes. light the candle in your house, your whole house smells like a print shop. <laughs> well, listen, when I when I first did Umber, uh, before I had my separate studio, my house was filled with magazines and it smelled like print ink for like months my son had to deal with it you know what i'm saying like you know i have a son who, who's 10 now at the time he was um six no six or seven yeah and, and when he come over he would have to just like, oh what's that smell oh that's just you know he now he know now he'll know and it'll be a memory in his in his mind of that smell so <laughs> that's print son that's what that yes. is <laughs> yes yes that's print son <laughs> i love that i had um back in my print sales days i had this wedding magazine that i used to print and the delivery instructions and date was so particular and so specific and so detailed. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to just throw this on a courier and send it out. I'm going to personally deliver this. Mm. Um, but it was like 60 boxes. So I had a minivan at the time because I had three kids. So I just slammed all the seats into the floor and I filled the minivan, but I did it the night before because it was an early morning drop-off. Yeah, Man, when th those things fresh off the press sat in the closed van all night. Oh my and then God. when I got in that van in the morning, <laughs> Let me tell you, holy! I mean, it's isn't it? I mean, I feel like is it like a high? I think it's a little bit of a high. I think a little bit of like your 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 you know your mind goes places. It's a passion. That's, <laughs> that's what we'll label it as, Mike. It's okay. a passion. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I used to work at this print shop in Philly, and we it was a a print shop for um for architects. So we. So, so we did blue lines mm -hmm. with the ammonia smell and it was ridiculous to like, it smelled like ammonia. Like it was, it was toxic. I know it was, but I worked there and it was fine. Um, but, um, yeah, That's, it was it's toxic. Passion. I know it was, <laughs> I know, I know it was, but I was, it right was a there. passion. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Mike, I've loved the banter. I want to kick this over to you now, and I want you to just sort of tell us about yourself. Introduce us to Mike. Yeah, so um, Mike is um, oh, man. Mike is a creative. Um, Mike is uh, he likes to call himself a nerd, even though that name resonates differently for different people. Um, but, um, you know, he's passionate about art and design and pencils. Um, he always says he, I feel like we are talking about himself in third person. He, I, I want to do that the whole episode, the whole episode. <laughs> he says, pink, he says pencils over pixels all day, yeah. like all day. And I think, um, for me, um, coming from the background of, you know, drawing my whole life, um, and first going to school uh, for illustrations, pencils are like is the is the key, and I and I I put pencils to the same level as a computer, or vice versa. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, you know, I'm an artist. I'm a father. Um, uh, I'm a designer. I'm a publisher now, and um, um, you know, and I'm just really, you know, um, I'm passionate about about what I believe in. And so, um, so yeah. 
Beautiful. So I wanted just a little bit more um, context on like the, the artist illustrator you're drawn as a kid, you're getting creative. Was there, you know, were your parents supportive of that? Did you grow up in a family of artists and designers? Did you have like an aunt that really pointed you in that direction or how did that come about? So my dad is an artist. Awesome. Um, so he, um, um, him and my mom divorced when I was about three or four years old. So I just remember seeing him like paint and, you know, really paint mm-hmm. rather. And um, so he, you know, he's, he's from St. Vincent in the West Indies. So he, he comes from a, a Caribbean background influenced by, um, by Carnival and, and, and Calypso. So he, he, so he would design the, the, the mask and the costumes for, for the carnival, like, you know, the whole, yeah. where there's like a huge, well, I think they call it, uh, a, I believe it's called a mass leader or mass head where the mass is the, the group of people who are walking, walking down with the music and the costumes. Like he, he was mm-hmm. the, the head of that. And um, then he went to, he, he, he went to Cooper union in New York for art school. And mm-hmm. that's where, he, and that's where he met my mom in Brooklyn. And so, um, so they had me move to Charlotte. They divorced, but I would say that my, even though I didn't grow with them, that desire to create is definitely, I would say, is spawned by him. But I would say that my yeah. hustle and my passion and my 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 driving force is my is all my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but as a kid, I just always draw, drew. I just drew all the time, and um, and um, one of the the things I remember drawing the most a lot of is, is graffiti because I was a fan of hip hop from day. Like I would say hip hop is part of the, the, the main inspiration for my, um, for my career as an artist, because with hip hop, I, I literally felt like I understood all four elements of hip hop from day one. I never thought the rap was something different from graffiti mm-hmm. or breakdancing or from DJ, all of those four elements I knew from jump what they were. Um, and so, um, so my love for fonts and topography was inspired by, by graffiti. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then just looking at the art album artwork and, and, and having roots in New York, a lot of my family members and cousins would, would come down from New York to visit, would to visit us in the South and they would always have their graffiti books, whatever. And so, um, so yeah, so I would say that's where, the passion for just drawing started at, you know, at a, at an early age. Yeah. So I'm seeing these dots connect here. And so was it like art school, like all the way, like that was the direction there was no question or did, did you try something different before going, nah, man, I had it right the first time it was art. Um, I, so it's funny, like my mom, she was supportive of me, but she didn't like make, she didn't, uh, she didn't make sure I went to art camps or she didn't make sure I went to art, you know, lessons. She just like, let me just, just do my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew I wanted to be artists. I mean, at one point I wanted to be, I wanted to play in the NBA, like all kids do. And um, I remember my senior year, like, so I rode the bench from junior high to high, to, <laughs> to, to high school. And my senior year was like, you know what? Do I want to ride the bench or do I want to just really just focus on this artist thing? And so I, on this artist thing, I'm like, you know what? I'm an artist. I'm not a basketball player by any means. I mean, I had a decent jump shot, but that was it. Mm-hmm. And so I knew from from that point on, I knew I was going to be an artist. I didn't know what kind, right? And um, 
Then when it's, I believe, 11th grade, um, a representative from the Art Institute of Atlanta I came to our, um, came to our, I think it was my art school or mm-hmm. excuse me, a uh, class, art class. And he was talking about graphic illustration, graphic design. I'm like, oh, that sounds like something that I've always done because even as a kid, I would design like sneakers, motorcycles. I would draw comic books, um, uh, excuse me, comic characters like uh, Calvin and Hobbes and yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> Garfield and Snoopy. And I would and I would redraw all of the back then mm-hmm. that during that time college teams were like were like hot, right? And so mm-hmm. I would always draw like the the Jayhawks and the Orange Men and the Buckeyes, just their I would take their mascots and make it into like a like a cartoon, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um anyway, so I've always always drew that way and then and, then when the guy had, had spoke from the school, was like, oh, I, that sounds like, oh, oh, you can get paid for this? Okay, that, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> that was, and, and that's how it kind of started in terms of I knew from that point on. It was, but it was was illustration first, not design, yeah. just illustration first. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So sort of sticking back in, in time in the history here, mm-hmm. um, what is your earliest memory of printer packaging? Highlights, highlights for children. I still, yeah, man, my kids get highlights. Listen, I still have it. I still have the one from 1982. And if we were on video, I would have showed you this because I have it in my hand. Yeah. Um, And and my son is not reading this. You got to send me pictures then. He reads this like, this is a hardcover back then. This was hardcover. Yeah. And um, so this, the one I'm holding right now is April 19. 82. So this is my first memory of things printed. And it was activities, you know, you have to draw things, you have to like find the missing object within the within the artwork. And yep. um yeah, man, like it was this. And then after this, it was cycle world because I was in the motorcycles. So those mm-hmm. are the two I say I was like start with, and then as a hip then as a, a fan of hip hop and and, a, and as a teenager, it was it was Source Magazine was the mm-hmm. one, and then then Vibe Vibe that Vibe Magazine was the start for my passion for print media in terms of magazines. Mm-hmm. Vibe Vibe was it, you know. I remember a senior year in high school, '93, I believe the, the Vibe it came out around that time, and um, on the cover was Snoop Dogg. And I always tell the story like on the cover, it probably, the the font was probably like a condensed Helvetica or maybe even um, grotesque. Some the, the, one of those fonts, yeah. and um, uh, it said "Bow Wow Wow," and I was like, "Oh!" And vibe was different back then. There was that was the first, at least for hip hop culture and for a black culture, that was the first magazine I saw was really kind of art driven, yeah. where black and white photos. Big, the format was was bigger than most magazines. It just looked very very artsy. That was it. That Man, was that's it. awesome. So I just did like a really quick like Google here, mm-hmm. and I wanted you to see this. I hopefully this doesn't like crash the call. Yep, yep, that's it. 
<laughs> that's awesome. Okay, I'm gonna move it, that's move it, it out so we don't lose the call here. Yeah, but, yeah that's, that's the one. It. That's the magazine. That's was, the one. Yeah, hundred percent. I know. I I basically pictured this, googled it, and there it was. Yes, that that was the one. And so, but still, once again, I knew I was going to be, you know, oh, and then around the same time is when my uh, my shop teacher, mm -hmm. my first design teacher was a, my shop teacher. Mr. Lacey, Mr. Lacey, Mr. Lacey, Mr. Lacey. This is what he did. He said, okay, hey class, there's this new thing we have here. It's called electronic mail, right? Yeah. And we were like, what's, what's that? It's like, you know, you could send messages <laughs> over the internet, over the computer. I don't think it was called internet back then. You could send messages over the computer through phone lines. And, and then we have to design our, um, uh, our business cards. Mm -hmm. That was a part of the class, right? And so, wow, that's crazy. Mr. Lacey, he, man, that's Lord of mercy. He was my first design teacher. Um, so we designed these business cards. And at the time, I had a, this crazy afro. So I drew a silhouette of my afro with me. And, um, and on there it said, graphic illustrator. So this is 93, dude. This is 93. So you put your I, stamp on it in 93. 93. Lord of mercy, man. <laughs> Mr. Lacey, shout out, Mr. Lacey. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> oh awesome, Mike. Okay, so fast forwarding time a little bit here. Mm -hmm. What about recently? Have you had any recent interactions with print and packaging that either really surprised you or you really enjoyed? Um, I so I buy before the pandemic. Me and my son will always go record shopping, mm -hmm. right? And we will always we would always buy old um, vinyl and was R&B or pop music or jazz, um, some hip hop and not but like the old school hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, and because we're not going shopping for records, I started like buying new records. And um, we there's this new album uh, by this. I forgot his last name, but his first name is Ambrose. It's, he's a, um, a trumpet player on the blue note rec um label and the image of him is really a beautiful image of him like his stark black and white really mm -hmm. simple and clean and usually for blue note their label is always that that weird that kind of that white angle and and blue um that blue color this time it's black right because the, the artwork of the the cover is black and white and the weight of the vinyl the weight of it is different from, you could tell that this was like quality vinyl plastic, mm -hmm. right? But the simplicity of this vinyl design, this layout and the packaging of it, it just was beautiful. And they use, um, and they use Optima. Nobody uses, <laughs> listen, I love Optima. I really, really truly do. I wish I could use it more, um, but some aspects of it I don't like as a font but they, they use Optima and it was beautiful how they used it. And so um, that one surprised me. I didn't see that coming. And so for me, you know, the packaging, print packaging is all about the reveal, the taking off the plastic, the shrink wrap, and then you're mm -hmm. opening up the, the, um, uh, uh, the, the fold and use, and it, but it's kind of like sticky because it's been like pressed so hard for the, with the, um, with the shrink wrap. Mm -hmm. And the reveal is the best thing ever. Um, so, yeah, man. 
Man, just with the combination of, you know, records being nostalgic, but also, you know, some of the really cool experiences that you can create with them, tie that into, you know, me having a podcast here. Um, I want to create a record and send it out somehow. Some I I don't know what it looks like yet. I don't know the sort of the the purpose of the piece yet. I don't know the distribution of the piece yet. But at some point, I want to create a vinyl record. Just the the, the large canvas of the record sleeve. Yes, the yes. idea of like tucking in a giant oversized brochure inside of that with mm-hmm. you know with the artwork and the experience and even more stuff to it like that kind of stuff. I want to create. Yeah, man. I um. So one of um our publications. So we have Umber, which is the main graphic journal, the the art book I call mm-hmm. it, and then we have the um BBP Digest, which is more of like a you know a small like format. It's not a small format in size, but in terms of the amount of pages, and a lot of times I produce those just uh, because the at the time the amount of energy it takes to make Umber took me a long time. So, all right, let me give you a mixtape. So. BBP Digest is our visual, a visual mixtape, right? And so the I last one we that. did, the last one we did, what well, we featured um, a hip hop group called um, called Souls of Mischief, mm-hmm. uh, which is going back to high school. Um, they're from the Bay Area, and they were really like popular. They're they're the song that they're most known for is is um, '93 Till Infinity, and so as a kid in Charlotte. Growing up, I was the only one really playing their music, right? Nobody else, everybody else was playing other regional music or music from the, the, the either the South or the or the or New York. I was playing Soldier Mischief from the Bay Area. I got a chance to interview them the end of 2018, mm-hmm. um, oh, excuse me, 19. And it was a blessing for me to like mm-hmm. listen to their music. And now I'm sitting in front of them. Anyway, long story short. I made that version of BBP the size of a vinyl record and Love we printed, it. we did some um, hand, hand printing vinyl sleeves with the hole in it um, of like an umber graphic on the front. Um, and then we had the, and so we treated the BBP as an insert. And so if I had all the money in the world, a record would have been included in that as well. You <laughs> For know sure. And so with some like some rare, you know, my goal, my goal was to find rare, like define. Okay, this is my vision. This is my vision to all of the records that they sampled from their album. Yeah. Have it inside of that vinyl case. Wow. Right. But the pandemic happened. I couldn't shop for it. Right. Yeah. And then it's, I'll finally, I'll probably find it cheaper if I go to like a you know, a mom and pop record store versus trying to go to like Discogs or these places where they sell, where they charge you way too much money for records, in my, in my opinion, for mm-hmm. used records, you know? And so anyway, that was a plan. That was a vision, but I feel you with, with just making it do. You can make a vinyl record of just sounds of just like birds chirping, right? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. All for the pack, but it's all for the packaging. That's what it's for. It's the experience. Yes. Same with like a, um, the other one that's like from my childhood is a VHS cassette, like VHS yes. tape and the, the packaging for VHS and just how cool and retro that is. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, you know, the actor Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. he, he, he launched a cannabis line, um, 
with somebody. Oh, why can't I remember the name? Houseplant. There it is. Sure. Okay. Houseplant. If you haven't seen the packaging for Houseplant Cannabis, mm. It's so retro vibe. They've got like their, I think their pre-rolls, they don't open like a cigarette pack. I think they open like a mini VHS tape. Like it's all like really, really cool retro packaging. Um, And I'm absolutely in love with it all. Um, So I'm going out on a limb here. I'm thinking you are are Gen X um, from that era. Um, No, I am. uh, I think I'm on the like tail end of millennial. Okay. Okay, I'm like because, just a millennial. Because the all the, all the all the stuff that you're saying, whatever. There's this way to where that generation or m- my generation still find ways to be relevant, but mm-hmm. harken back to the nostalgia of for when they grew up. Yep. Right. There's this weird like way to where like there's you know not all of them, not all Gen X people <laughs> are doing this, but. Mm-hmm the creative ones or the ones who are really thinking outside the box, find way to kind of harken back to that time of, of, of their, their innocence um, and still make it relevant for people to appreciate now. And I feel like we're in this space of like, you know, for millennials or even Gen Z to where Gen folks who are Gen Z can appreciate some element. They can appreciate that. Right. Mm-hmm. They can kind of like they can understand that 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 feeling, you know, so. Um. Yeah. And I made this post recently on my Instagram and I basically just in big, bold font, kind of like a carousel, ask people, um, you know, just saying that print brings back memories. What are some of the nostalgic memories that print brings back for you? And you mm. get like hockey cards, baseball cards. The one I put up there for me is Pogs. Do you remember Pogs? Mm-mm. Wait a second. Do I? No. Pogs were like those little little milk caps that were printed. There's all kinds of different designs for them. There's hockey teams, just these little paperboard circles. Then they made slammers for them in the game of pogs. Look it up after it. I'm sure you'll, it swept the world, but for me, it swept grade four. Um, (laughs) 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 But that's like, that's like just an example of like, when I see something that rimbles that I'm like, Oh, that looks like, looks like pogs. And then I spend the next couple hours looking on eBay, like buying pog sets and just get sucked back into that. Like print has that, that power to pull you back into a specific moment. Yeah. So I I just love it for that reason. Um, Again, I want to kick this sort of back into history here with this Mm -hmm. next one. Um, What was the first print project that you were a part of? Was that your Afro business card? (laughs) <laughs> um so let me think actually so there was um when i lit my first project where i as an entrepreneur i feel like that i've done in within print um this is more in 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 the side of apparel um so i lived in atlanta mm-hmm. uh went to went to the orange state of atlanta i moved there in 94 graduated in 96 i stayed there for another year so in Atlanta, there's uh, there was this event or this party um, that was called Freaknik, and it was really um, the the party was focused on uh, uh, kid uh, the kids who went to um, HB HBCUs, um, okay. historically black colleges, universities. Mm-hmm. And so they would be have all these black folks from coming from around the nation to Atlanta and just party, right? And I grew up in the South. My mom was strict. 
I was not a party. I it was too much for me. I was very green back then. I was like, this is I can't party like this. I, I don't know what's going on here, right? <laughs> yeah. This is too too much for me. Just fearing that my mom would, would show up out of, out, of, out of nowhere and saying, boy, what you doing? So yeah. I'm like, let me just not, but it's like, how can I participate in this event? So I yeah. just, I, I got my, uh, an associate's degree for illustration. I'm like, all right, well, what if I design a t-shirt for Freaknik? And cause back then people would always would design these t-shirts and you know, this is, you know, P, this is a party, a party scene. Right. And so unfortunately, you know, a lot of times when um, people are highlighting a party, that but they're highlighting women in a way that's you know not really uh, nice. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the, the bikinis on, and the, back then it was it was Daisy Dukes, which is really short uh, mm-hmm. jean shorts. So what if I was to make one that was really kind of classy? And so I made this T-shirt design. I got it printed. I I did all the illustration. Um, by hand that I went in, into Illustrator and, and made the, the graphics of it, got it printed. And then I remember the first time I sold a t-shirt was at this barbershop. This is the last time I got a haircut um, at that time for the, for the next like five. <laughs> I'm four. glad you added that at that time. <laughs> yeah. At that time. Cause I had like, dreadlocks. Bro, I saw you before. You- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had dreadlocks for like seven years yeah. um, after that. Anyway, so we're in the barbershop, right? And I'm selling my T-shirt to the barber who just cut my hair. Somebody else had a T-shirt too. And we were both comparing. He was like, well, I like his because his is classy. His looks different. So that was the first time I kind of like did my first print project and was kind of competing against this other guy who had the T-shirt too. And, um, and so I sold out all the T-shirts that day, that weekend. Um, so that was my first time really being able to participate in this event that I felt usually overwhelming with. But I'm showing up. I'm taking up, up space the way that how I am, how, how I am and how I mm-hmm. kind of, you know, move in the world is through art. And yeah. so let me participate in this event that is normally overwhelming, but through my art and feel like comfortable, you know what I'm saying? And, and just being me, being authentic. Mm-hmm. So that was my first, I, I would say, print project that really kind of like got going. Mm-hmm. Love that. I really hope you have pictures of that. I was on I, w- I was on the news, man. I was on the news like they <laughs> ABC, some local news or ABC, whatever. And so I was so in Atlanta. Um, there's three black colleges like in the same area, and it's called mm-hmm. the AUC, Atlanta University of Colleges. So it's like like three colleges, and this is where kind of everybody's kind of hanging out. My cousin went to Morehouse, which is um, I would say probably one of the most I would say that no, nah, well, I don't know if the most, but it was it 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 it, it, it was one of the colleges. So mm-hmm. I'm just there kicking it, selling my t-shirts. This guy happened to have a boom box, like old school 80s hip hop, had a boom box playing. Yeah. Yeah. And the news guy came up. He was like, Oh, what do you have here? Was, oh, I got my t-shirt for Freaknik. And then he was like, Oh, here we here we go, people. We have the unofficial t-shirt for Freaknik. I was like, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom, my mom has a last t-shirt. This is, dude. This is like 25, 20, 25 something years ago. She has a she she has a last T shirt. She still has it. So, 
Does she wear it? She go out like no, just not giving props. No, she's not doing that. She's just, <laughs> she's just like it's somewhere in the closet somewhere with dust, but she still has it. So, oh man, that's so cool. Yeah, um, Mike, I really want to get into a deep dive on your magazine on Umber here, but before I do, the last question I want to want to go by is, mm-hmm. you know what what makes print so special to designers? What do you think they love most about it? Um. <sighs> I think the, there's a, a form of discovery, I believe, where print design, like the reveal that we talked about before with the, you know, with um, records and, and, and record sleeves. Um, nostalgia, once again, too. Um, and I think, so I'm in, I'm in, in Oakland, in, in, in Oakland, California, in the Bay Area, right? Mm-hmm. So the Bay Area, definitely, you know, in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco, it's all about digital and product design and apps and i'm i'm really slow with all of that stuff but what i what i tend to find out is that when people find out about umber and they get it it's a it's a break from online Mm -hmm. right it's like you know i need to like i love i love this and there's something about it just is taking me away from being on computer all the time and particularly in the pandemic like we're on screens way more than we were before mm-hmm. right and in lot in lot in nine times out of ten you're probably on your laptop more than you were before as well so mm-hmm. um i just think it just uh, it's the the playfulness of uh, that you can you could do a print and uh, the touch the feel um it kind of there's a way to where if it kind of makes you feel young again, I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it kind of takes you back to that moment when you're reading highlights for children or reading these comic books as a kid, you know? So I think for designers, I think print is this space that almost like, well, I wish I could do that. I would I always get that from people. I wish I could just do print design. I wish I will you know, it just, it's a break from just the monotony of, you know, of being online all the time. Oh, for sure. But like, especially now, like there's massive screen fatigue, you know, yep. you just, you just get tired. Like how many times can you refresh your Instagram feed or your Facebook yes. feed before you yes. just go, okay, I got to put this thing down. Yeah. And, and the, the it, infinite scrolling, yeah, it just never stops. <laughs> yeah. And when you put it down, you're in, you're in search of some sort of, you know, analog fulfillment of some kind, whether that's yep. going outside for a walk or getting out in nature or, you know, getting your hands and cooking something, you know, making yep. something from scratch um, or grabbing a book or a magazine and yes. sitting down and just consuming, but in an analog format, um, yes. you know, that is sought after so much. And, you know, one of the things I'm on right now is especially during this pandemic time where people are spending more time on screens. Um, there's nobody's printing big catalog and filling your mailbox with it. Like right now, if a company was doing direct mail right, mm-hmm. they would be crushing it. Yep. Just yep. because you have so much desire for experiences, analog experiences, people are checking their mail and looking for something other than bills. <laughs> and you know, you, you get this mail. It's like this unique experience. Maybe it feels different. Maybe it smells different. Maybe you got to scratch something off, or maybe there's a pull tab to create some sort of engagement with it that drives to some sort of online, whether it's an online e-commerce site or somebody just want you know online consumption of something. Yeah. That that connection is so it, the opportunities are endless right now. Yep, yep, yep. And that yeah, that's a that's a great segue to the 
to the future of Umber. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So, um, you know, like the reason that we got connected is I came across Umber, um, you know, through social media one night, and I thought this magazine looks awesome, and there's a purpose behind it. So, I really wanted to connect with you on where the idea came from, where the name came from, just the whole idea behind this. Um, you know, with the question of why print, and how did you craft this experience? Like why the paper choices? Why why did you select these finishes? What was the goal and how does it align with the brand? So I know that was a lot of questions, yeah. but I mean we're gonna just kind of cover it in conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah. let's start with like what is Umber and where did the idea come from and how did you name it? Yeah. Um so I'll give you I'll I'll give you the definition of Umber. Umber means brown pigment from the earth. That's just you know, that's just it kind of like like simple and plain. Um, so coming from an illustrator background, um, when I'm drawing before, I love drawing faces and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and profiles and, and, and portraits. And so I'm always using at the time, my main medium is pencil. Um, and right now it's graphite pencil was the main medium, but back then it was all uh, a prism color pencils. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. then one of these, pencils I would use a lot is umber, right? Raw umber, um, uh, burnt umber, raw sienna, terracotta, you know, goldenrod, all these, these, these colors for the, for the tone. And so, um, I went to school for design in nine, uh, in 97, graduated 99. And, um, when I was in school, for design in Chicago, I went to the Illinois Institute of Art in Chicago. Uh, my teacher, I went to school for design because uh, it was hard for me to get a job mm-hmm. as um, as an illustrator. Because back then, you either were freelance or you worked at a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And people who had those jobs in newspapers don't give those up. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like I was too young to really try to do freelance. So I said, let me just do, let me go back to school for graphic design. With the school for design, my type design teacher was a fanatic for this magazine called Immigre. Mm-hmm. Um, Immigre started in 1984. Husband and wife team. Husband was the was the, the graphic designer with the layout artist. The wife was the font designer, and so they met at school in the Bay Area. They started this magazine for fun, and then she started to design fonts on the Macintosh. She was the first one to really to embrace computers for layout and for font design. And so at some point, people were really fascinated by her. They're fascinated by her fonts and they wanted to buy her fonts. Basically, fonts funded the magazine. The fonts mm-hmm. got so popular. Well, you know, she would, she would design it, save it on the floppy disk, and then ship it to people, right? And so really that was the, and so fast forward, my, my teacher in school was like always about, all about immigrant. He was like, immigrant is the best magazine and the beautiful fonts layout. And I loved it. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the time where I got into immigrant, one, I didn't have, have the money to, to buy immigrant and two, the, the, the style that I liked the most, those those magazines, those magazines were already sold out. By this time, in the late 90s, they were experimenting with different layout and, and design, whatever. So be, becoming a fan of Immigrate in um, 
in in the late nineties uh, and and also in two thousand, um, there was a magazine called called Good Magazine. Mm-hmm. which came out right and i got the i still got the first issue and good magazine is i mean it's a it's not it's not like immigrant immigrant is definitely high concept high art a lot of grunge and a lot of distortion mm-hmm. but really fonts and layout was the main focus of it was like the main you know was the, the main look and feel with typefaces and so you know at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm geeking about layout now. Like, I'm a, I love Helvetica from like not just from a, oh, I'm a designer. I love Helvetica for like from a very personal standpoint, and we can talk about that later. But like, Helvetica has means a lot to me you know, on the personal level. To point where I, to the point where I was going to move to Switzerland <laughs> because of Helvetica <laughs> in yeah. 05, I was I I my dad who I mentioned earlier, he um. He, he has family in London, so I went to visit my aunt for the first time. His sister, I said, "Cool, I'm going to visit you, but you know, I'm going to Switzerland too, just to check it out." So mm-hmm. my, I was going to move to Switzerland because of Helvetica to Basel. That's like, who does that? You know what I'm saying? Like, who, <laughs> well, listen, let me. What black man does that, right? What black dudes <laughs> will be like? I'm moving to Switzerland because of Helvetica. 1957, Max Menninger did his thing. I want to move there because of that. So yeah. anyway, I'm just, I'm loving this because this is the, you know, it's taking my love for illustration and applying it, the puzzle pieces, the layout. I just was a fiend about layout. So I was like, what if I, you know, in my love for print magazines and just print media, I never saw me in print media, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? Like you would see black and brown folks in print media, but never like, it's sort of, it's kind of spotty. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's always like, it's the... It's the black and brown folks who are like the people who are doing the magazine, right? You know what I'm saying? Never the nuances are, oh, well, he, this black guy, he's really into designing fonts. I'm going to put him in a magazine. Or he's mm-hmm. or she's really into, you know, making these things that we like. We're going to put him in a magazine, right? And so I said, what if I did a black version of Immigrate? What would that look like? You know, what would that look like for, for me to do a print magazine um, like Immigrate? Um, not just talking about black stories of black people, but stories mm-hmm. of all of all people of color, but from the perspective of a black man, mm-hmm. right? That was like my original thought, whatever. So this is now I'm fast forward now. This is 06, 05, 06 is where this idea is starting to come about. So I'm in Philadelphia, one bedroom apartment um, near downtown Philly. And I'm like, okay, this is because this is after I came back from Switzerland. I went to Switzerland in 05, right? So now 06, I'm back in Philly, mm-hmm. you know? And I just went to Switzerland for like, you know, like four or five days. Anyway, so I'm like, okay, what if I did my version of this, of immigrate? What would I look like? Who would I, what would I talk about? So in 06 is when the concept of Umber came about. And so once again, going back to my experience as an artist, in a, you know, as an illustrator, I'm like, well, you know, umber, that sounds kind of cool. Oh, is brown pigment from, brown pigment from the earth? Oh, that's fresh. Right? That's <laughs> yeah. nice, right? And yeah, then, I didn't even know that. And then, um, you know, even even in even in 06, I knew I, it was going to be printed in black and brown ink. Oh, black black and brown perspectives, like black, you know, the, the tagline for umber, always, this always been the tagline, was the Creative Thinkers Graphic Journal. Okay. That's that's what I wanted it to be. And mm-hmm. 
my vision was that, so I'm thinking too is, okay, right. There's all these great magazines out there and they're mostly, um, you know, white people or, or, or some people of color, but just here and there. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that they are exclusively trying to make a white magazine. They're just rocking with their people. They're mm-hmm. just bringing the people who they know on the personal level. Mm-hmm. So I want Umber to be, you see this beautiful magazine, and then you realize, that, oh, wait a second, it's only black and brown people. Not like leading in with black and brown people, this like, no, no, you find that out just because as you're reading it, that that's the focus, that's the intention behind it. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the per- so this is 06. All this was in 06. This is before, you know, this is before Facebook think maybe just came out around that time, 06, yeah. 07, yeah. around, I guess so there was no Twitter yet. There was no Instagram. <laughs> there was none of these things, right? <laughs> no. um, and even the space within print media that during that time, um, uh, Immigrate was on his way out. Immigrate lasted, I think they their last issue was around 06, 07. Okay. They're wrap they're 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 wrapping down. And by this time, Raygun wasn't as popular. Raygun mm-hmm. was this this print magazine um designed by David Carson. There's a magazine called Nest, which was out about architect um about my furniture and, and decor that was kind of on this way so all of these print magazines are now on their way down because so uh, because internet is starting to is starting to kick in and websites mm-hmm. so you know so this is where umber starts in 06 that's where the concept comes about and then um a year later i moved to the bay area um i had a son and then um in 2012 is when i made a prototype of umber so six years after the concept, the idea, six years later, I make a prototype and I made about hundred copies, nothing, you know, not, not a lot, about, mm-hmm. about 20, about 25 pages. Cause I was like, let me just see if I can make it. Yeah. Let me just see if I can just do it. And, and at this it. point you, you designed it all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All, okay. Like okay. I, I <laughs> do, <laughs> I got the content for Wikipedia. <laughs> Beautiful. All, all my content was Wikipedia. I did all the, the illustrations. I found a photographer, this really beautiful photographer here in Oakland. She did all the photography on that. I had one person write a story. Um, but other than that, all the content was just, I definitely wrote some stories. I'm not that much. I'm not, I have great ideas, but I ain't no writer like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but in uh, uh, all the other content was, was from Wikipedia. Right. And so, yeah, so let me just make this thing. So that was in twelve. That was almost ten years ago now. That was nine years That's ago now. Crazy. Yep. Ten, ten, nine or ten years ago now. Yeah. Yep. So that's the idea. That's the origin story. And it's just like the the brain started turning in Switzerland. I love the part about Switzerland. So twelve or sorry, so six, about six years ago or nine years ago now. Sorry, you were mm-hmm. saying you yeah. you create this sort of mini version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Where does that take you? Does it does it does it prove concept? Does it does it make mm. you wanna wanna go a step further? Like at what point do you go full scale? Like what what te- what are the signs that you see? Like yeah, this is this is gonna good. This is good. So no, this I, there was there was I mean people people oh this is cool. I have people like you know my I'm really showing it to friends and family. I was trying yeah. to get yeah. there's this one editor. Um, she at the time she was working for Huffington Huffington. Hovetting's post black voices. Yeah, right? yeah. So, and I was like, all right, let me send it to her. She was like, okay, where's your budget? She just like 
she, I, I real talk, I cried because she just like, where's your budget? Talk to me. You got a budget. I can't do it for four hundred dollars. She just like, just everyone wants to do a magazine. You're not special. Basically, what she said. Yeah, dude. I like. Oh, that's I a was, crushing moment. I was, I was, I was pissed, man. I'm like in my, um, uh, uh, and I was working at my job at the time in Mountain View. I'm in my car. I'm just like crying. I'm like, she don't, I don't, I forget her, man. I, I, I was very careful. I didn't call her any out of her name. I was very, you know, respectful, but still just like, how dare she talk? You know, she doesn't, but it's like, but she's right. Like, I don't know this dude. You know, I don't know where he's coming from. Like, idea sounds cool, but everybody has an idea. Right. And so, um, so I really, I really didn't get too much confirmation really. Oh, yeah, and, th- right. and those are the moments, you know, when something like that happens, especially when you're fired up about something that you like poured your heart into and worked so hard onto, and you get like a dose of reality. This is where like the market never cares how hard you worked on something. Yep. Yep. Is, is it good? Is it viable? Does it work? But here's the thing though, Dave, is that it made me feel like I didn't do anything yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe feel like I didn't do a damn. I didn't do a damn thing yet. I didn't yep. do any. I there. What what you do? What you just had this little concept, you know, six years ago, and now you mm-hmm. have this. Like it wasn't. If it 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 didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so that was in twelve, um, and then year. You know, years go years go by. You know, must must. You know, life happens. Being a dad, uh, working. You know, I was doing like freelance work at the time but still my full-time job mm-hmm. and then in um in 2016 i just had this breakup with a serious girlfriend mm-hmm. and um and trump and then trump got elected mm-hmm. and i'm like all right what am i gonna do i'm not i've never been a very i'm not a protester i'm not a very vocal pro, i'm not i'm not that guy Right. I'm mm. not that, I'm not a protester in that in that sense. But I know that making art is a form of protest for sure. I'm yes. clear about that. Absolutely. And so I'm like, what am I gonna do? People people doing all this yipping and yapping about Trump and yada yada. I'm like, cause sometimes when things like this happen, you have to look personally within and see what you can do for yourself versus you're trying to like, let me try to react to react directly into what he represents that's the for me that's the wrong thing to do what are you going to do for yourself how are you going to show up how, how are you going to take a space that is authentically you mm-hmm. and get support from your community and really kind of lean into what you believe in mm-hmm. and so then i was like oh the idea i have for umber now is the time yeah now is the time to do it so there it is. So the dots connect. Something, something ticks and goes. Yeah, this is it. This is this, the time. Th- this is the time to do it. And so, because one of the things, and at the time, um, you know, Easter Ray, the, the the actor who does the um, who has Insecure, um, she had this pup before that. She had um, this web series called Awkward Black Girl. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's I don't know if it's still up there, but it's great. It's basically is insecure without the money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but one of the things she said when she made that is that she worked with her community. Like she's, I, I, my friends, like you want to be in this, this little, w- this web series I'm doing, mm-hmm. let me get you, let me get you, let me get you. So when I did Umber, I was like, I, I've been, since I moved to Oakland, I met some amazing people who are really, really super dope. Not all have to be designers and creatives 
or your or visual artists, but they're really good people. I need to get you in a magazine, you in my magazine, you in my magazine. Because that's really how it started with 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 my community of of artists and thinkers who I've became friends with since since moving to Oakland. Mm-hmm. And so um so in the first of 17, um, we all sat down in my little apartments, like, all right, I got this idea, you know, I gotta make it happen. What should I do? And then, you know, I, I heard of Kickstarter at this point, I knew about it. And I feel like, well, that's maybe how I can really do it. Right. And so then, um, you know, those four people end up helping me like three, two of those people actually were part of the first issue um, in terms of features. The other Mm -hmm. one, they just helped out with the campaign and stuff. And so, so I did a Kickstarter campaign. Kickstarter campaign and uh, successful, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I got the, so I, so I did a Kickstarter campaign uh, while, while I'm a full-time job. Um, I still had to design the magazine. Mm-hmm. I still had to illustrate it. I still had to had to curate it. I still had to figure out what the printing is going to be. Yeah. I still had to figure out <clears throat> where it's going to be sold, <laughs> who's going to buy it, <laughs> yeah. how am I going to sell it. Um, yeah, th- that's that part where it's, you know how do I how do I turn this into a business? Like I did this mini thing a number of years ago. Now it's time to scale up. So how did you? What did you ask for for the Kickstarter campaign? And and how did you figure out? how much money you needed to raise to really pull it off? Um, I asked the goal was um, the goal was 10,000 was, mm-hmm. was, was, was what I asked for. Um, I can't remember if I got a quote from the printer or not. I think I did got a quote for, I think I got a quote from the printer and this is a local printer here in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And um, they, I was aware of their work because a friend of mine who was also a graphic designer, he got some stuff printed with them too. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, Mike, use them, use them. And so um, um, Solstice Press was the was the printer. Mm-hmm. And um, so then um, I was like, okay, this is, you know, I'm asking for 10000 I got a quote from, I forgot how much the quote was. Um, but, you know, it it it, it was a lot, you know, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot compared to like not knowing, not knowing that. And, um, and mind you, when I did came up with the, the cause for 10000 I didn't think about fulfillment. Yep. I didn't think about shipping. I didn't think about packaging. I didn't think about the other perks that is non-related to the actual magazine itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so all these things where I didn't, I didn't have a focus group on the perks. I just like, oh, let me just try this. I one that thing was one Kickstarter I looked at. Uh, it was called Hardcover. Okay. It was this um, uh, print magazine, hardcover magazine. That was created by um, this one, husband and wife, another uh, husband and wife team. Um, her name is Danielle Smith, and her husband is Elliot Wilson. Both of them are journalists from yeah. from hip hop, and so Danielle Smith used to be the editor for Vibe Magazine, right? Elliot Wilson used to be the editor for Double XL Hip Hop Magazine. So I'm like, oh yeah, this is the blueprint. This is what I'm, this is, I'm going to pattern my Kickstarter off of their Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, so that's kind of how it was. And then, um, you know, got the, got the funding, um, and got it printed and yeah. Man, and, oh, but before that though, what I used to do is that, um, I had a prototype of the, um, of the first issue, just okay. like printed at Kinko's well, with FedEx office now. Yeah. Um, and I went around 
showing, went around to different like magazine stores, a bookshop, showing my prototype. Hey, say, hey, would you sell something like this? Literally went in there. And then when they weren't looking, I will put the magazine in the shelf and take a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, put it out yes. in the universe. Just like Dude, that just, is the hustle. Let me just put out the universe. And so I did that. And um, and so like, all right, I'm getting some love in Oakland because people know people. Oh, oh, Mike, if we like, people know uh, Oakland is a really is a small is a small is a is a is a small community, particularly a community of black and brown folks who are creatives and entrepreneurs. Like it's a it's not a lot of us here, so we're all kind of know each other. So everybody was giving me love. Oh, Mike, we we'll support you. I was like, all right, well, I got to see how this, how this is going to go in L.A. I don't have no community in L.A. I have a couple of friends who are artists down there, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Took that same prototype during the campaign, and I drove down to L.A. and went to every shop I can think of. I went to magazine stores, bookstores, boutique shops all over the place did the exact same thing and the feedback was so oh this is kind of, this is cool like all right this all right this is this this is working i think people are liking this you know what i'm saying like this may mean something mm-hmm. um and um and then um and then yeah so i think i did all of that to get it going and then the campaign happened i got the funding got it printed and it was so awesome yeah man it's it's a uh, um yeah I love the, you know, the hustle and the vibe you're putting out there. Just, you know, the, the the energy you're putting out there by going into these different bookstores, putting it there, kind of giving it like a little wink and be like, yeah, you'll, you'll be here soon. Moving on, you know, and using that not only for motivation for yourself, but also for just putting that vibe out there, but yep. sharing, you know, you could share those photos and use that as in like, here we are in the bookstores, you know, it just makes it yep. look that much more legitimate, you know, really, because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to. Well, well here's the thing, though, Dave, is that I, um, it was about being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the first issue, the first issue we did of Umber was the theme was on vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. That was the theme, right? You know, as artists, you know, we, as creatives, we have to be vulnerable. Like, so check it. I'm doing a I'm doing a Kickstarter campaign based on the art that I love, you know what I'm saying. So I'm showing myself that way. I'm asking you for money, mm-hmm. right? And I'm throwing out there like this is concept I have that's dear to me of my baby, mm-hmm. right? Like, can you fund my baby? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, can you fund my son? <laughs> like, 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 can you help him go to this thing and you know whatever? So that's so it's really more so about that. And so the recognition or the v- validation was definitely. You know, but validation was like the people kind of like saying, yeah, Mike, keep going. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so um, like, you know, once you once you have validation from your community, then that you take that you take all those people with you when you go to these other places. Like it's not just me. It's the community of people that that we that we've we've built. You know what I'm saying? So as much as my joy is designing the magazine and doing all the layout, but it's really about the stories the discovery of of people who are really creative and unique and different and doing things kind of on a on a on a different vibe it was really about that their stories were probably more important than my story but my story was like the driving force but after you get past me no yo look at a magazine check her out Ch- check him out it really yep. that's that's what you really should be looking at as well too so 
I love that. So I, I want to just for a minute here, shift over to like the production and creation of this actual publication, yeah. because whenever you're creating uh-huh. packaging or a magazine, you know, it, it's got its own brand. It's yep. representing a brand. Yep. So you know, when you've got umber and there's purpose and meaning behind what you're trying to create, there's art behind it. There's mm-hmm. you know your soul behind it, like your passion behind it. How do you translate that to a paper stock, a yep. production size, like full color, or are we adding like you know highlights of ne- neons or, or things yep. like that throughout this? Like like how do you translate that into actual production? Something you hold in your hand? Yeah. So um, first thing for Umber, before anything, I make a vision board. Mm-hmm. Um, the vision board gives me no no. Before the vision board is the theme, right? Um, once I have the theme, then I base my design off of that theme mm-hmm. and I curate based off of that, off of that, off of that theme as well. And mm-hmm. so, excuse me, for me, excuse me, um, I had to pick themes for Umber cause if I feel like I did, I would just be all over the place. Yep. Right. And, you know, let's be real, like, you know, black and brown, our community where, we're, you know, there's a sense of vulnerability with that too right you know what i'm saying like you know people either taking our stories and narratives and they're they are are presenting our stories and narratives but they don't really have us really in mind when they're doing that they're just hey this is kind of cool look at this person doing that you know what i'm saying and so um really the curation process um is me figuring okay this is the theme how do i want to tell this narrative in this story right um and in the in the space of using black and brown ink, right? How do I, what, how far can I push two colors? Yep. Is limiting me in one space, but it's is is a challenge in liberating it in another space. Why well, don't have to worry about cyan? I ain't gotta worry about this spot color. I ain't gotta worry about this this you know this Pantone. Got I don't have to worry about. I just know that black and brown. I get some duotones. I get some sepias. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I, I get all, I get some grayscale, I get some pure black. Let me see how much I can do with that, whatever. And so, um, so really then that becomes a part of the narrative of the story of making Umber is the, is the black. So when I say the black and brown perspective is two things, black and brown perspective, meaning that black and brown uh, representation of black people, indigenous people, Latin Americans and marginalized people of color from around the world. That's one aspect and it's printed in black and brown ink. Right. So that's all that's really that's really what it was. It was really about black and brown ink first. And then the folks of color, you notice. Right. But then at some point I switched the narrative so people know that, no, this is really this is kind of is for everybody. But it's our perspective. Yeah. Um, and so really it's curation of the content. Pick a theme make a vision board based on that theme. Then you curate to see who, who fits within this theme, who are, who are about that theme. Right. And the themes are usually kind of wide in scope, like vulnerability. You can go a lot of places with that. Our second Mm -hmm. issue was on relationships. You can go a lot of places with that. Mm -hmm. And once I figure out what the narrative is and the flow is, I literally, I do a page mapping. Page mapping is basically, before I touch the computer, before I design it, I have to see where everything is going to go based on the stories I curated. So as you're reading through Umber, there's a flow, there's a narrative, there's an arc, there's a there's a low, there's a there's a peak, there's all these valleys that are happening within the layout. 
Um, and I treat every layout with its own design, but with, what, but you, what, what unifies them is, is only black and brown ink. Mm -hmm. So every layout is an artwork in itself you can frame. That's my intentionality when I, when I make the, when I make sure, when I actually make the design. So once I come up with the page mapping, mm -hmm. all right, printer, this is how many pages I got. You know, this is the type of fold for this. The I want to do a fold out in the middle of it. So I got to make sure that, you know, there is 48 pages before the fold out and 48 pages after the fold out. Because yeah. if I don't get in a certain place, it's going to cost more money because yeah. I got to fold it. Like, <laughs> where the signatures go. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And so all of that is part of the narrative, too. Oh, that's just that's just as important as when that fold out is, right? Because you, you don't want to do it too early. You then you want to do it too late. You want to do it when right when people are like, oh man, what? Oh yeah. So you're taking like the the you know production necessities, the things that and you know, a lot of gra not a lot of graphic designers know that stuff unless they're in the print game, they've had a they got a good relationship with the printer. They've either been through it before or something like yep. that. Yep. But I mean, thinking through the process of, you know, you're not just going to throw a fold out anywhere. There's a cost effective place. Yeah. to yes. And incorporating that, you know, positioning, you know, the, where it has to be based on production mm -hmm. and mapping that out in the design, knowing that you want to build a story up to that moment. Yep. Yeah. And so what was so what was so interesting is that so when I sent the first issue to the printer and, you know, the first issue was like maybe a 64 pages, not that big, big enough, you know, for the first issue. And the the uh, I think it was a pr production guy. He it, it's not the guy who's on the floor with the printer, but it's the guy who look who reviews it before it goes to the printer, yeah. like before they make the plate. I forgot what that guy's his role is. Yeah, and, she's uh, your production manager. Yeah, um, your production manager. Was, yeah, yeah. He was like, you know, like Mike. This, you, you know, I'm, 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 I'm giving pat myself on the back here a little bit. But he was like, wow, Mike, you did a good job. Like, there was some things, like you, you know, you nailed it. Like, we don't get files this clean. Is <laughs> basically what he said. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, for me, because I want to be a journeyman. I can tell you that back in. When I lived in Philly, when I worked at that printer, that print shop in in um um in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. I want to be journey. I want to I want to learn how to print. I want to learn. I want to I want to go on the press. Yeah. I want to learn this thing. I want to be a part of the, you know. But there's a whole, you know, uh, so it's a whole. It's not just something you can just hop in, you know. So you have to start that way early. I feel like in your career, um, to do that, you know what I'm saying. So there's a whole like it takes probably eight years before you can get on that big machine where you're actually doing a print you know what i'm saying so anyway i'm trying to impress them yeah. right i'm trying to get my trapping right i'm trying to get you know what i'm saying the the gutter right i'm trying i'm trying to show i'm trying to i'm impressing listen i'm impressing i'm trying to impress the contributors because they trust me with their vision with their stories their vulnerability i gotta make a look my only thing is that listen you tell your story my only thing is that it's gonna be black and brown ink and it has to fit this theme. Other than that, please go have it, right? So I'm trying to impress them. I'm trying to make sure the printer gets what they need because I don't want to have to call, you know, I don't want to pay a lot of money for changes I have to make. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm trying to impress myself because I want to make good design too. You know what I'm saying? And so <clears throat> all that, all that, all that is a part of the, a part of the process of making the, 
the the actual the magazine itself you know yeah man that's so good that's like massive insights like insider insights into producing a publication you know from the design perspective so i absolutely love that um you know that you you, you know these things you got them nailed down um can you just run over like the quantity and the actual like print specs as far as yeah. like paper stocks and things like that go, just so I can throw that out there and people can put the visual to the, to the spec. Yeah. So paper, um, I don't like glossy. I never did. Mm-hmm. Fingerprints is sticky. I'm with you there, bro. It's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool off of that. Um, some of the, the, the coding they do like this kind of like the soft, it's okay. You know, I wanted people to have a tactile experience with Umber. Mm-hmm. I want you to feel the tooth. I want you to feel, you know, I don't want to be too heavy towards like, you know, it becomes where you can't even turn the pages because sometimes that's annoying too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to feel the pain. I want you to feel, okay, this is something I want to want to cherish. I want to hold on to. And so, sorry about that. <laughs> that was my slack. <laughs> well, I didn't even hear it on this side. Okay, cool. Good. Yeah. Um, um, and so, um, um, I uh, uncoded all day because nothing about Umber is pretentious. I don't want, I, I'm not, you, you mm, no, nah, man, I don't need no gloss. You, you don't need no gloss, yeah. right? Cause there, you know, I'm not a glossy person, right? You know what I'm saying? I want you to feel like this is something that great is great paper. Um, there is, there's some toothiness to it. Right, you know what I'm saying. Um, the the cover is a heavier weight. Um, the binding is, per you know, I like perfect bound is great, as long as it's good glue, mm-hmm. um, pure, lay flat. You know, I usually I yeah. usually roll with that, and so um, um, so that's really sort of like the 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 aesthetic I want. But going forward though, um, umber the goal is umber to be hardcover. Yeah, the main issue I want that to be a hardcover because you know I switched it. Umber used to be called Umber Magazine, but it's not that. It's a graphic journal, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's really what it is. And so, therefore, you know, I'm treating Umber as an art book, as a coffee table book, versus just magazine that you kind of like you put on the shelves with other magazines. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. but for me, you know, it's, it's uncoded all day. I got to do uncoded. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, um. Yeah, I can't, I can't do glossy. No, make it rain on uncoated. So um, last question sort of related to the production and, mm. and magazine itself is the um, quantity. How many of these are you producing? Low. This is a small batch. Um, for one, two couple of reasons. One, at, up to this point, I'm handling all distribution and fulfillment. Mm. Yeah. So those bad boys come right in the studio, stack the board on these <laughs> on these shelves. Yeah. And when you buy a copy of Umber, nine times out of ten, it's gonna be Mike Nichols who, who's gonna pack it up. So I want to make low numbers. Also, too, whatever, you know, it's I want you to feel like I'm one out of one thousand people in the world who have Umber in their hand. Mm-hmm. Right? That mm-hmm. is the intention of Umber. It is a specialty high-end print product, right? Without the pretentiousness of glossy magazines. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And so um, the first issue I did on Umber was 1,000. Uh, the second issue of Umber, um, actually, I only did 500 of the second issue. Mm-hmm. And, and those sold out pretty, those sold out in 
five months, right? And so um, at the time, well, Umber is sold in um, uh, 35 places around the world, um, uh, three spots in London, and then mostly, most on the West Coast, um, as far as Seattle and Portland, um, I have some in, in Philly and Chicago um, as well. And um, the goal is like is New York and Atlanta and um, and Austin as well. But uh, so I print low quality just so I can maintain the the fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. Once again, this was a passion project. Issue one was a passion project. Can I make? Can I just make this thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I just do this? Then okay, all right. Issue one was cool. Let me do another one. Can I just sell out? Oh, cool. I can sell out. Okay, all right, cool. Let me just make one more, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then all right, cool. Well, let me. I'm on a roll here. Let me just try to make one more magazine during a pandemic. <laughs> Is this possible? Can I design a print magazine in a pandemic and and will people buy it? I don't yeah. know. Oh, they will. Cool. All right, bet. What's next, Mike? You just did four issues. What are you going to do now? And so. It's all, all so far has been it's been low volume, right? And the last issue we just printed for this last year, our Sam issue, sports, athletics, and movement issue. Um, we did three different covers, um, he- heavier covers because the um, we actually the, the the pages went up more. It's 104 pages now, and um, we did 750. I'm keeping it low because mm-hmm. you know when I have more of a sustainable distribution model hmm. then i can up those numbers yeah it's exclusive that way yes once again i want you to feel like oh whoa wait a second wait a second you don't have umber ha <laughs> ha you don't have umber i mean that i mean no that's not right i'm gonna say that but, no, but it, it adds to the you know all print in digital media you know in instagram billions of people could see that instagram ad Yep, and it doesn't make it special. There's nothing special about that. Yep, but something tactile—a box, a mm-hmm. magazine, a booklet, um, mm-hmm. even a greeting card—like that's finite. Yep. There's only so many of those in the world, and yep. you have one. So yep. it, it, it's not that it's an exclusivity, and you know it, it makes it you know you're you're you only get this if you're special. Yep. But what it does is it, it increases the value. There you go. Providing. There you go. That's that's really, I mean, that's it. You know what I'm saying? And so, and also too, whatever, Umber, there's no ads, mm-hmm. you know, in Umber. I mean, if there's any type of ad representation, there's partnerships through our community. Um, I mean, we're going to, next phase of Umber, we're going to explore th- more options for advertising and, you know, partnerships and, mm-hmm. um spaces for some you know some sponsored content but the first four issues there was literally no ads there was maybe two ads once again but this fits within the theme of that um uh of that of that issue and so this issue was on sports athletics Mm -hmm. um there was a a black and brown owned running store a running boutique store opened up during the pandemic crazy right physical Mm -hmm. store this is not on the physical store Yep. And they beautiful people. I met them, you know, went by the store and they're like, I had my uh, safe in play with safe in space um, release party at their space. Everybody had the mask on. We had different slots for people to come in. So it's not too crowded. Um, we show our press sheets as art. Every time you go to a, oh, a thank you. A, every time, every every time you come to an Umber release party, we keep our press sheet. I'm going to get a frame. These bad now talk about money. 
them bad boys are worth <laughs> I listen, I and I but here's the thing, I got inspired by Immigre. When they did their last issue of Immigre um in San Francisco, this is like 06, they had this event um for the last issue, and I went no 07, excuse me, I went there. <clears throat> sorry, 09 is when they had it. I went there and um they had their had their press sheets framed. I'm like, oh, oh, that is not and that listen. That's art right there. Mm-hmm. That is art. You see the little the what the squares of the ink on the side, the hash marks, the little the targets, crop marks. You got all the targets. Yeah. Listen, listen, man. That's art. So for me, layout is a is a is an art practice. Me doing umber is my art practice. That's what it is. Is is my is my art form. Layout is not. Layout is like coding, right? If you if you're in InDesign doing these, you know, paragraph styles, these character styles, you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's coding, mm-hmm. straight up. And so yeah. that's my art form. Yeah, and on one of uh, actually, it's funny you say that about the press sheets because one of the things that I. Um, talk about it and I did this special Christmas gift guide episode where I sort of just go through some things that are really cool for graphic designers and designers who want to get into print. And one of the things I said is um, through field notes, like, you know, the notebooks field. Yeah. yeah. yeah you sure. You could get the designer field notes and that's always helpful, mm-hmm. but, but here's something real special on the field notes website. They have very limited quantities of their, of press sheets of their covers. And I'm like, you wrap up one of those, you get that framed up on the wall. That it's just, it's just something that most designers don't get to experience. Don't get to see. Even when you get to like foil stamping things, if you get those foil stamping dies, you get like, it's framed and up on your wall like oh my god listen listen i I even see the beauty some of the coding i do i do see sometimes like i'll look at the coding and if you were to print that out in a very nice oversized print paper like how the code kind of like how it how it cascades and it's just little shapes that are created from how people code even that's beautiful to me right even that's beautiful but yeah frame listen that is see that's the next evolution for Umber, like to where it's like you know you have you're gonna you could be buying these press sheets and it'll cost you a whole lot of money, but it's gonna be nice framed. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, my I'm signing it because of the press have to, have to sign the press sheets before they go off and make you know all these prints of it, and so yeah. I love it, man. Um, so Mike, the I got last couple of questions here for you yeah. and then we'll wrap this up. Um, what advice would you give a designer who is just new to print or wanting to really get started in print design? Make a zine. Yeah. Make something really small that you can print out with little to no money um, because, you know, pr- printing is, is expensive. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and if you don't, if you're not in a space where you can advertise, you're going to be having these sponsors or partnerships with folks. I mean, there's all, I mean, you can, you know, if you're treating your print as a, as an art craft, you can always probably get funding through different art programs within your, your community or even, even nationally. But, um, um, uh, these are these artist grants that could definitely support you with that. But, um, I would say just make a zine, right? Mm-hmm. And so make something that you can print out at Kinko's, 
or excuse, ah, I keep saying Kinko's FedEx office or whatever little print. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, you know what? Don't do that. Don't go there. Go to mom and pop print yeah, store. Find your little local printer. Just there you go. Just chat with them about doing something cool. But that, that's it, really. One of the best ways to learn is just to start doing. Yeah. Just make that um, and highlight your community. Start with your mm-hmm. community first. Like start with them first. Um, but I would say, yeah, make a little zine. Um, I don't know how the zine culture is in other places in the world or even in the States. I know in the Bay Area, there's a huge community here in the Bay Area for zine. We have like zine fests. I think there's one in San Diego, I believe. So anyway, I would say, I would say make a zine, do mm-hmm. that. Um, um, get that printed and, you know, and, but here's the thing though, when you do make something, if you are passionate about something, let that be the thing that you are designing. Mm-hmm. Don't, I mean, you could do something cool. That's cool too. Right. But do something you're passionate in because you're stepping into a world that, there isn't a lot of like, you know, um, resources or fanfare outside of geeky designers and printers, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? So pick something that you're passionate in and, and, and tell a story. And, you know, even if it's, you know, like I said, sometimes it doesn't always have to be a purpose. Sometimes I mm-hmm. think that helps sometimes in terms of like what you're doing this for, but make a small zine, be something that you, if you're passionate about rocks, and just do a take some pictures of rocks on your on your phone, you know, put inside a layout with some text and get it printed. Yeah, that's it. So that's it. I love that. Yeah. So, Mike, I want to wrap this up with the ask the audience question. I've got this group of on Instagram of graphic designers who are eager to learn more about print. Um, it doesn't have to be print related, but what would you want to ask this group of designers? Um. What do you stand for as a, as a print designer? You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you stand for? What do you feel like, you know, you want to show that you have a commitment on? Um, and what is that thing that, that reflects you? I think nowadays people are really highlighting their values and what they believe in, mm-hmm. but not, but here's the thing, not based upon what media is telling you that you should, you should be talking about, not based upon what, people say you should be saying or this and that, whatever, but mm-hmm. what do you stand for, for your personal self? And how do you want to reflect that in print design? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so how do you, how do you put your fingerprint in print? I really want to know how do you say, okay, this is, this is Dave right here. This little thing you see right here, mm-hmm. this, this vinyl release I'm going to have soon. <laughs> That's <laughs> this, right. This is Dave. So how do you, you know, I'm curious to see how designers or how you would, you know, how do you, what form would you take as print as print media? Are you mm-hmm. packaging? Are you a zine? Are you a magazine? Um, yeah, that's what I would ask. Love it. Mike, you have reached the end of the print design podcast, man. This has been a, just an amazing <laughs> conversation. Um, I, I, I never know, um, you know, sort of what direction these conversations are going to go. I, I do enough research on my guests to know that we got a good fit and we can have a great print conversation here, mm-hmm. but I don't know anything about their life story and their, their journey, their, their passions. I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. And having this conversation with you and hearing your, your journey, your story, your passions and where these things were ignited. Um, it, man, such an engaging, awesome conversation. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me. 
All right. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. What a brilliant conversation. Definitely go check out this publication and the work that they've put into it, the purpose and the meaning behind it. It's awesome. I love what Mike is doing and his mission and his creativity that goes into that. Love it. And if you want to pick up that guide to five craft beer label designs and how they were made, the craft beer label design guide, head over to printdesignacademy.com before it is gone. Final reminder, March 2nd, craft beer label design course goes live. I've priced this thing so affordable for anybody, any designer that wants to get in to beer label design or wants to just take their label design to a next level. Learn these print design fundamentals. This course is for you. The craft beer label design course launches March 2nd. Boom. Thanks guys. See you next week.